those Sundays when you just want the singing to keep going, and which is bad news if you're the guy preaching. But uh, if you have a Bible today, turn to Matthew chapter 2 and then hold your place and then turn to Luke chapter 2 and hold your place. And let me just say, I want to always honor those who brought the Bibles and want to turn there. But the best way to follow along with this sermon is probably just going to be uh, on the screen. You know the, the text references I've just told you. So you can check it out, read more about it later. But uh, that's the best way to follow along. Let me start with this idea. You'll see it on the screen. The being in the Christmas season is not the same thing as being in the Christmas spirit. In the Christmas season, that is, as you know, that's a calendar issue. But being in the Christmas spirit, I would say, is a character issue. The Christmas season in America begins, oh, about Halloween, and it extends until uh, this coming weekend. It's gotten earlier and earlier. Any purist in the house? I used to be a Christmas decoration, get ready for Christmas kind of purist where you don't start anything until the month of December. I used to be a week up person. Then I got to December 1st and I'm like, okay, Thanksgiving. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Everybody's going to do what they want to do. Just let's get it started sometime when the weather gets below 90 degrees uh, here in the South. But being in the, one more time, being in the Christmas season, hey, we're all there. Everybody's in the Christmas season. It's a calendar issue, but that's not the same thing as being in the Christmas spirit. And I want to say to you today that that is a character issue issue. Um, I want to talk to you about um, something important. It's our, and you don't, we don't really hear it talked about uh, a lot in church, and that is our mood. That is your mood. Ever heard a sermon about your moods? Uh, That's sort of what you're going to hear today. A couple years back, I touched on something similar to this. I'm going to expand it uh, a little bit. Well, I remember several years ago, uh, many, many years ago, I was still single. It was the last year of my singleness. And I had friends, I hope, I hope you have some of these, friends that were so close, they're like family. In fact, they're even like, man, we're not just friends. We're like family. We are family. And I had the idea that we would, uh, the week before Christmas, comparable to this uh, weekend uh, so long ago, uh, gosh, 20, 28 years ago, I, um, I, I told my friends, hey, let's rent a lake house in the mountains and just uh, be together. Let's be one happy family. Well, I was the only single guy amongst our friends group, friend group. I'm kind of a late bloomer in most all areas in life. Anybody feel me there? So I was the only single guy, but it was my idea. Let's rent a, let's rent a cabin, lake house uh, in the mountains. And so my friends that were like family, these best bros of mine, they were, uh, you know, they'd be in my wedding a couple years later. I just didn't know that. But uh, we rented this house and I, there were, I mean, we were cramped in and then we got snowed in. And on the calendar, it was uh, three nights, four days of sort of adventure. And a couple of the kids, not mine, a couple of the kids got violently ill. One of the couples was feuding. They, They were fighting. The walls were paper thin. So you could hear everything. So not only were we snowed in, we were cramped in. And on the second night, uh, I snuck out and got in my rental and tried to leave. And I don't know what my, I was going to, you know, come up with some cocky mangy scheme or somebody needed me or something. But I was, I was and my friends walked out and they're like, hey, uh-uh, where are you going? You ain't going anywhere. This is your idea. You turn that car off and get back inside. You're going to be punished. You're going to have to spend time with people you love just like we are. And it was one of those moments, you ever had one of those where it's like uh, joy to the world, peace on earth, Jesus is born, I hate you. And so can we all just say that it's probably, we've all had something, if maybe you're having it this week, but the Christmas spirit, you're not there, and it's not the same as the Christmas season. 
And so today, I want, to, I want you to consider from a spiritual standpoint, from a biblical standpoint, we'll get there in a second, uh, your mood, your outlook. It's the, a mood is um, your heart. It's the way you feel. It's how you carry your heart uh, through this life. It's how you see things and how you, uh, it has consequences in how you interact uh, with other people. Uh, there are uh, good mood people generally and bad mood people. If you're in a good mood, if you're a good mood person, then often you are, you're generous, you're joyful, you're grateful. If you're a bad mood person, uh, you're negative, you're irritated, and you're stressed. Good, if you're in a good mood, you enjoy taking on things. You, you're happy, you see things uh, with a bright vision. You, you're ready to go to school or work, whatever uh, your true thing may be. You're ready to take, on, take that on, take on anything. Uh, things are bright. When you're in a good mood, the sermon is good. Y'all in a good mood today? Sure hope so. If you're in a bad mood, what would you say? You're negative and irritated and stressed and studies, you don't need any studies, but studies tell us that bad mood people have fewer friendships, have less intimacy, are less generous and more self-absorbed. Friday, I stood here and preached a funeral for someone who died who's a few years younger than me. Um, I think back on... Um, times like that and think about a couple of years ago when it was one of my best friends one of my best friends growing up it was his dad's funeral and I remember my best friend I was at his either I was at his house or he was at my house and I remember going to his house we were always a little hesitant to go generally enjoyed ourselves but I remember my friend would worry from early childhood he would worry about his dad coming home he would worry about what kind of mood he was going to be in was he going to be really grumpy or less grumpy this man this father of my best friend growing up uh, he died not long ago and he was just a grumpy guy he yelled a lot and I couldn't help but think at his funeral what the relationship with a son could have been like what his family might have looked like had he not lived now he wasn't a bad-hearted guy I don't think I think he just lived with this chronic low level of irritation are you a good mood person or a bad mood person. Uh, let's quickly, in bullet point fashion, let's look at a, a few characters in the Christmas story. I'll put the verses up, and then you tell me, were they in a good mood or a bad mood? The Magi, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. That's a dead giveaway, isn't it? You've already got your answer ready. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented with a gift of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We can uh, bypass that. That's some, uh, just some other things about the historical context of it were they in a good mood or bad mood that magi they were in uh they were in a good mood um the shepherds uh let's read this passage matthew 2 stay there until i tell you for herod is going to search for the child uh, to kill him uh back up a little bit that's not the verse we wanted did it change from the first service um okay let's see if we can skip oh there we go the shepherds there they are the shepherds returned glorifying and praising god for all the things they had heard and seen just as they had been told the shepherd they were in a good mood or a bad mood they were in a good mood. We don't have this. Hold off for the next verse. Luke 2, just look at me for this one. Uh, let's consider the angels in Luke 2, 13. You put this verse on your, on your Christmas cards, I bet. Uh, the, the, it said, suddenly with the angels there appeared a host of, of a multitude of heavenly hosts, and they rejoiced and said, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Were they, the angels, in a good mood or a bad mood? 
They were in a good mood. Consider Elizabeth and consider Mary from Luke chapter 1. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Was Elizabeth in a good mood or a bad mood? She was in a good mood. Uh, the baby was in a good mood. Uh, John the Baptist, this is the first example of fetal joy. In Luke 144, we see the example of Mary. The baby leapt in her wound. Uh, what was accounted for in the Bible is true today in medicine, doctors tell us, that there is this reality of babies, their movement and, and their joy. Uh, King Herod, last one, King Herod, the most powerful man on the planet and the wealthiest. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Was Herod in a good mood or a bad mood? Herod had a bad mood disorder. He was chronically, maybe we just take the word mood out because he was a chronically depressed guy. And isn't it strange? Just take whatever lesson you want from this. But the wealthiest, most powerful man in the world was a train wreck. And you contrast that with the mother Mary. And look at this. I know you've heard this before. Luke 2, 19. But Mary, it says this about this woman who didn't have any money, who didn't have great means. She had really no power no relative clout or influence. It said, but Mary treasured up all these things and she pondered them in her heart. It's easy for us to go to that place where, you know, you picture you're sipping herbal tea and you're sort of like a Hallmark card type movie and you get that vibe from this passage, but it actually hearkens to the connotations of the prophets who treasured and pondered. They thought deeply in order to discern God's voice. And this is what we see in Mary. Was she in a good mood or was she in a bad mood? She was in a good mood. So what I want to give you today, I want to give you, and let's put it on the screen, this heading here, four practices uh, to engage in so that your life, your outlook, or, and, or your mood can be guided by God. Uh, four practices. Now, these aren't matters of legalism. It shouldn't be a heavy weight for you. This isn't the preacher going, you oughta, you shoulda. I want you to breathe a little bit and think about how these practices, how you can start them. It, it, I bet to some degree, some of you have already have, but how, do you, how you can start these practices and they can build into the warp and the woof of who you are, your character, and to the rhythms. They are, to quote my favorite author, Dallas Willard, uh, when he talks about practices in general, uh, these, are, these are means of grace. Uh, this isn't a do these things in order to seek God's approval. This is I am loved by God. And because of this, I want to practice these things. And so here's the first one. The first one practices this. Wait, now, now, this is a challenge to you. I want you to start these tomorrow and do them leading up to Christmas and then do it for the rest of your life. Okay, uh, wake up and ask God to, uh, I mean, might as well tell the truth. Wake up and ask God to regulate your mood. How many of you love the morning? How many of you hate people who love the morning? Yeah. <laughs> You've heard the old preacher joke, there's two kinds of people, those who wake up and say, good morning, Lord, and those who wake up and say, good Lord, it's morning. And uh, I don't know which one uh, you are. There's a proverb, it's uh, Proverbs 27, 14. Proverbs 27, 14, don't have it on the screen. But it says, when a man wakes up and loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, they count it as a curse. You ever, ever been there? Like Proverbs, write that down, Proverbs 27, 14. Some of you feel me, right? Hey, Frank, good morning, woo, what's up? Good morning, God bless you. Now, how nice is that? But if it's loud and early, a lot of us are going to be on the other side. If you're frank, you're like, man, I'm, you know, close the door, shut the garage, whatever. Uh, you count it as a curse. And so we have morning people and we have non-morning people, but eventually we all got to get up, right? We were out to dinner this past week with a, a several couples and uh, they were uh, treating us to a steak dinner, which were, you know, were available. 
but this man was older than me and a real high achiever. I'm kind of intimidated to hang out with him because he like accomplishes stuff and everything. And I'm like, but uh, uh, just a real high achiever, but he's uh, confessed that he just sleeps in and he's just not a morning person and kind of made me feel good about him. But he talked about how, and he's just a very intriguing guy. Anybody just curious about this guy is just very, very, very intriguing, uh, loves to be fascinated by things. And he f- reads a lot, just a lot of books and uh, a variety of subjects. And he's been reading a lot on sleep. So when we were eating a steak dinner with him, he was teaching us about sleep and the, um, the rhythms of sleep and so, uh, stuff like that. And he uh, kind of brought up a good point. You know, you sleep when you sleep, get your adequate number of hours, but it can vary uh, from, from person to person. But Wake up when you wake up and ask God to regulate your mood. Give God the beginning um, of your day. There's a, a guy that's known as a sleep expert, Dr. Neil Robinson. He also works for uh, Sealy Posturepedic, so maybe his um, research is tainted a little bit. But uh, he talks about um, waking up on uh, the right side or the correct side of the bed so if you're grumpy y'all do this at your house when someone's grumpy they get up grumpy you say to them what well so and so must have woken up what finish it with me you must have woken up on the you must have woken up on the wrong side of the bed well dr neil robinson uh, decided to research to see if there is a wrong side of the bed you know what the wrong side of the bed is according to him the right side and so he actually, you can read this uh, later, not during the sermon, but ne- Dr. Neil Robinson, sleep expert. And he says, wake up on the left side of the bed. So if you're married sleeping on the right, I guess you crawl over uh, somebody if they're still in bed. But wake up. And he says you're, and this doesn't, this is not inviting to me, you're 10 to 14% more likely to be in a good mood if you wake up on the left side of the bed. And I'm just telling you that, all right? This ain't the Bible. Uh, and honestly, I'm, I, I don't think I believe it. But so I just wasted like a minute of this, of this sermon. <laughs> But uh, here's what I want to say to you. Don't worry tomorrow about waking up on the left side of the bed or the right side of the bed. Do this. Make a commitment that your knees will hit the floor before your feet hit the ground. And pray. And ask God. Do as the psalmist would do, did in Psalm 5 and verse 3. I invite you into this. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and I wait expectantly. That's hard for hurried people. That's hard for high achievers. That's hard for seeing spirituality and communion with God as a waste of time. That's a hard practice, but it's one that can be so rewarding. To wait and to lay those requests so before your knees hit the floor, or let your knees hit the floor before your feet hit the ground and give God your morning. Look what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 50 in verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. Don't wake up and think about all the problems that you have to jump into, all the questions you must answer, and all the stuff that you must do. Do not also begin the day with your phone looking at what the world is beckoning you to do and worry about and what other people do neither. Let your knees hit the floor before your feet hit the ground. And look, ask God, you're going to start tomorrow. Ask God to give you instruction and then wait a little bit and let there be stillness. First Peter, I'm sorry, Second Peter 1 has this passage. There's metaphor here. We also have the prophetic message as something um, completely reliable. And by the way, when you went to sleep last night, and as you'll go to sleep tonight, there's a lot of things, all right, uh, psychologists tell us a lot of lies that 
get floating around there if you have bad dreams and you have recollections of those bad dreams. But there's a lot of lies going on in your head tonight. Can I just tell you that? A lot of lies. And so you have an opportunity to wake up in the morning with reliable, something that's completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention. Pay attention. I've said this before. Pay attention to what you pay attention to. Um, so as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Stop it there, Emmy, because that last part is um, not pertinent to this sermon, a great passage. Um, Jesus is the morning star. Jesus is the morning star. And so look at this opportunity for a light to shine in dark. What if you saw your morning as an opportunity for light to shine? For the day as it dawns, for the morning star, for Christ to rise in your heart. What if you were awakened, not just physically, but spiritually as well? So, of the four practices to begin to engage in, to allow God to guide your mood, your outlook, your very life, wake up and ask God to regulate your mood. One of my favorite passages is in a a strange book. I say that with respect, but Lamentations is not a book we read a lot from or quote from ever. There is one very quotable verse, Lauren, and I've shared it with you through the last several years many times, but it says, your mercies, can you say it with me? Your mercies are, your mercies are, I was trying to, there's a rhythm there, our mercies are, I wanted you to go on the downbeat, y'all ready? Your mercies are, yeah. Your mercies are new every morning. Is anybody glad of that? Is anybody glad that God's mercies are new? G.K. Chesterton, who Jonathan West told me that John Mark Skinner uh, wrote a song about, said this one time. And I think he had Lamentations 3 in mind. Because children have abounding vitality because they are in spirit, fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning do it again to the sun and every evening do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy for we have sinned and grown old and our father is younger than we. Can a preacher sit down for a minute or two? Not strong enough to exult in monotony. Flip it, folks. We see that as weakness. But the things that you do every day, bring God into those. Look, some of you are waiting on the extraordinary. It may not happen. You're waiting on the grandiose. It may not come. But the everyday stuff. The waking up in the morning, the brushing teeth and having your coffee and going to work and showing up for people and playing with your children and engaging with your loved ones and asking God to regulate those things, the monotonous things. Can you exalt in them? Let's not give them over to children. Your spirit could still be fierce and free and praise God that his is. And I'm just thankful that God doesn't grow old. He never grows tired of forgiving my sins and giving me new mercy every morning. So the first practice is to wake up 
and begin, and begin the day by asking God to regulate your mood. The second thing, I won't take as long on this one, is to be intently curious about Jesus. Mary, we said, was in a good mood when she heard the Christmas news. But hold on, not so fast, my friend. Look at her response when the angels appeared to her and told her that the Son of God would come and that she would bear this Son. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. You see, Mary was a Jewish woman, and Jewish women were taught. They subscribed to this uh, very idea, this very religion, this worldview that says that God is not a man. God is above. God is one God. God uh, will not be in human form. Uh, you know the Ten Commandments that are kind of famous? The Second Commandment, you shall not make man in you know, no carved image, no, no image of God do we fashion, do we make. And so for her, she did not. Her immediate response to this news was not easy believism. Which, if you're scoring at home, is true here. The people of Israel, when they wandered in the desert, in Exodus 17, 7, there's this phrase that they said among, now this is the church people here. These are the, these are the folks that should get it, right? Is the Lord among us or not? So I invite you to be intently curious about Jesus. He wants your doubts and your questions. In fact, I've told the first service that active, thoughtful skepticism, active, thoughtful, honest skepticism is better than passive, mindless affirmations of things that you rarely think about. One more time, church, because I know your spirit's going to push back on this. But active, thoughtful, honest skepticism is better than passive, mindless affirmations of things that you don't really think much of. And so I'm saying to you, think of Jesus. I'm asking you to bring a robustness to your theology, to your thoughts of God, and invite him into this world. Remember last week we mentioned almost parenthetically that a man named Nathaniel said, hey, what good can come from Nazareth? And then in, this is in John 1, we don't have it on the screen, John 1, 46. And then there's a man named Philip who says, come and see a man. Nathaniel, what good can come from, and see, all of us have to, what good, I mean, what, why are you going to church? Why, are you, why do you open this book? Why do you believe this? Come and see a man. I taught this before, it's too good not to drop in occasionally. But in Deuteronomy chapter 6, when it talks about how moms and dads should lead in their homes and how they should instruct their children as they go and they should write the word on the tablet of their heart and they should uh, talk about God at mealtime. And, and, and it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. And then it says, love God. Listen to every word. Listen to every word. Love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. One more time, love God with all your heart, heart, soul, and strength. And then when Jesus came in, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not John, but those three uh, lawyers come and they test Jesus and they ask him a question. He says, the most important thing about anything, about the law, about everything, is that you love God and you love your neighbor. But here's what he said. He said, love God with all your, you've heard it, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Jesus comes and says, love God with all your heart, soul, 
mind and strength. He added that. And I want to ask you to add that to your repertoire, to add it to the rhythms of your life, to add it to your desires. Hey, I want to use my mind. And so um, having active, thoughtful, honest skepticism can glorify God and lead you to greater depths of faith and worship than passive mindless affirmations of things that you rarely think about come see a man and come see what Jesus can do he can change everything the third thing that I would mention is a practice that I want to challenge you with is to worship God in your problems in the Christmas story we talked about this last week with the nativity scene we kind of cleaned it up a little bit And we're actually historically inaccurate about some things that are in our displays and on our Christmas cards. But we clean it up a little bit, don't we? But in the Christmas story, the original Christmas story, they had problems. Hey, preacher, who had problems? Joseph had problems. Mary had problems. Are you kidding me? Jesus had problems. The family of Jesus had problems. Decades later, the brother of Jesus uh, would be the half-brother because of the Holy Spirit. Uh, James would write... uh, about in the first chapter, in the first two verses, or two, verses two through four, count it all, you know this, right? Count it all joy. Consider it pure joy when you encounter problems. Can I just say, I admitted this to the earlier service, I'm awful at this. Anybody else? Like you may say, man, that kind of, you're losing your influence here. You're on the stage telling us about, uh, to pray. I'm terrible at this. When I encounter a problem, man, I want to put some duct tape on that thing. I want to fix it. I don't want to rejoice in it. I don't want to wait on God. But he guides me and instructs me in realism. God always instructs us in realism. And he says, hey, there's a whole different way if you would count it but joy. And look what he can do. Worship God in your problems. I normally don't do this. I don't think I'd get any trouble. But after the first service... We prayed with people down here, and a man walked up late, and he was wearing a coat and tie, and I embraced him, and I said, you're not supposed to wear a coat and tie at Fondren Church, and I think I was nervous because he had emotion, so I just said something stupid in church to this man, and he said, it's my first time here, and I I was like, hey, wear wear that again next week. We love you. You're invited back, whatever, and uh, Christmas Eve coming, I'm probably going to wear a coat, not a tie, but anyway. But he said, I want to bring God in my problems. I want to worship God in my problems. He said, preacher, I lost a son. What's your pain? What's your loss? It's why we're here. Psalm 27, I comforted someone else with this earlier this week. Psalm 27, 5. For in the day of trouble, notice the uh, prepositions in this passage. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent. And he will set me upon a rock. Now, preposition, I ask you to pay attention. Glance one more time. A preposition is a word that precedes a noun or pronoun. And it has a a relationship with other words or elements in that clause. And the preposition that David uses in the midst of his trouble is not from, but in. In his problem. And that changes everything. You see, he doesn't say, you're not going to need a shelter because I'm going to deliver you from the storm. He says, I'll meet you in it. And that's really important. 
the original Christmas story, the people, all the people had problems. You'll probably have some Christmas problems this week. I bet some of you, I bet a lot of you, you you're not going to have enough money. You're not going to have enough time. You're not going to have enough energy. You're going to have someone at the Christmas table that you wish was there. Or you'll be around the Christmas table with someone you wish that wasn't there. But we all will have problems. And I'm asking you for the third practice is to worship God in your problem. And listen to me real quick. Wait on God, wait on God. But the wait on God till I worship, wait on God until the problem is gone strategy doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because the word in is just too important of a preposition. And it's not just language we're talking about, just English, I mean, it's meaning, and it reflects the very character of God and the condition of the human spirit in the world today. So the fourth thing that I share with you, oh, quickly, a Lucy Shaw quote, I just discovered this after midnight last night, I'm like, I gotta throw this in. Planting seeds inevitably changes my feelings about rain. Sanctification inevitably changes my feelings about suffering. If you ain't farming and you're not growing anything out back, you want it to be sunny all the time, don't you? But if you've thrown something in the ground, you're farming and trying to grow something, you're going to need some rain. You're watching Barbie Bassett and David Hartman and those guys. You're like, come on, Jim Cantori. You don't want Jim around. That's storms. But you want some rain. You want to hear those good people, the chief meteorologist. Uh, they, we used to call them weathermen back in my day. But the chief meteorologist, you want them to say, hey, we got some rain coming. You're praying, James 5. You're praying for the rain. Why? Because you got some seeds in the ground. Because you got something that needs to grow. And here's the thing. We don't like it. We don't want it. And the Bible, by the way, spends no energy explaining evil. But it responds, it tells us how we should respond and the character that should be formed in us. And so sanctification, I know it's a weird word. I know if you're not the religious type, you're maybe, uh, you know, it may be foreign to you and not inviting to you. But let me just quote John 17. Jesus said, I'm praying for you that you may be sanctified and you will be sanctified according to the word of God. To be sanctified means to be cleansed. It means there's, let, let me talk, try to talk in the modern vernacular. It means you're less toxic. It means you, less, you got less junk. It means you're not as moody of a person. It means you're not as given to negativity and irritability and stress as you normally are. You're being sanctified. And one of the big primary paths of sanctification is our problems. And it's our suffering. So thank you, Lucy Shaw. I don't know much about her, but I'm going to find out. And then the fourth point as we close is uh, as Lauren and the team come up is to uh, spread the word. So wake up and ask God to regulate your mood. Be intensely curious about Jesus. Worship God in your problems and spread the word. Look at the angels. Look how they spread the word. You say, well, they're angels. That's what they do. I know. It's good to do, do their job. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. Luke 2, 17. There's a woman named Anna. The Bible tells us she's an, she was an old woman. She was a son of a prophet. She had been widowed many, many years. She outlived her husband by a good long time. And it says she was hanging out at the temple every day. I was thinking maybe Foner Church is not going to be all that we can be unless we have some more old women around here. Even some widowed woman hanging around at the church praying. Isn't that what we need? Um, and look what it says about Anna. Coming up to them at every... At, that very moment she gave this is Anna she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem would you stand
I want to give you a challenge to spread the word. This is not the moment where the preacher says, this would be a great time to invite someone to the Christmas Eve service. Although this would be a great time to invite someone to the Christmas Eve service. But it's not, it's not about that. If you're coming, it's at 4 o'clock and I'd get here early. But it's not about that. It's about you being in your workplace and in your home and among your friends on their turf, speaking their language, knowing their name, engaging with their stories and spreading the word. And you don't have to be, I learned this when I was in college, you don't have to be Bible answer man or know it all. You just need to tell people what Jesus is doing in you. And when you reflect and when you learn and when you grow and you experience him and as you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you share that with other people. And Jesus in Luke 15 leaves us with this great thing. I bet you've heard about this. In the same way I tell you there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. More joy for those guys. Over one sinner that repents. Spread the word. And can I say the Holy Spirit is energized in you. I said activated in you. There's that thing on Instagram, Holy Spirit activate. I said that the first service and messed some people up. They were singing that, the Holy Spirit activate. Y'all heard that? Anyway, the Spirit of God is energized in you when you begin to spread the word. And for some of you, it's your next step of spiritual growth. You already know who you need to share the gospel with. Can I just say you can do it? Spread the word. And as you teach, as you spread, as you instruct, as you invite, as you invest in people, you'll see the spirit working in you. and You'll see uh, spiritual realities activating in, in you like you've never seen before if you're committed to spread the word. And by the way, partner with us. Partner with people. And lock arms with people. Let the preacher preach and the singers sing and teachers teach and greeters greet and uh, prayers pray. And we, we're at, people see the love. And remember the greatest apologetic is not your expositional argumentation. The greatest apologetic is when we love each other as Christ has loved us. By this all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. So team up, spread the word and lock arms and let let people see Jesus in you in community. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for today. Let your your word have its work. We yield this time to you. I pray for the antsy among us that you would calm their spirit. For stomachs that may growl and plans that may beckon us, I pray you give us a few moments where we would do business with you. And um, Lord, do your work in us. There's families that need healing. There's pain. There's a resistance to your word. There's rebellion. There's a passive indifference. There's a lack of a fierce and free spirit in this place. And so, as a song says, I pray that you would loosen the chains among us. And that what happens over these next few minutes could be significant and be parlayed into uh, the everyday. Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to be down front. We'd be honored to pray for you today. The altar is open. You're invited. We're here and we would love to embrace you and pray for spiritual direction in your life, for a need. Uh, we, we're happy to rejoice with you in a work that God is doing. Let's be obedient and you come today.